Welcome back to another episode of Being and Making Disciples. Today we're joined by Tom Martin, who serves as the Chief Information Officer of the Archdiocese of Seattle, to talk about a very important initiative they have going on called Partners in the Gospel. Tom, thanks for making time to chat with us. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate the opportunity. So, Tom, what is the Partners in the Gospel initiative? Let's start there. Sure. Um, so, Partners in the Gospel uh, is is um, a strategic pastoral planning effort uh, to to re envision how church exists in Western Washington, and it it starts with a, a current reality that many dioceses are facing. Um, you know, declining attendance, not enough priests. Um, Fewer uh, folks participating in sacraments, uh, and and uh, and a desire to really re envision how we we do church so that we can uh, bring vitality to our to our parishes. And so, um, uh, what our Archbishop Archbishop Beechin, um felt was in, in believes, and uh, I think uh, really listen, in listening to the Holy Spirit said, "You we we are burning our priests." Uh, with administrative activities, et cetera. So we need to find a way to um, to release them from some of those, um, mm-hmm. uh, redu- reduce that administrative burden, and and put our resources into evangelization. Uh, and so really to, with the intent of, uh, so the status quo is not not okay. It's not going to make it. Um, and, and so uh, it, all this is in the context of, of our mission, which is really Matthew 28 of, of making disciples of, of all people. And so uh, keeping that, that mission in mind, uh, we, we really believe that we, uh, through partners in the gospel, will we'll go through this restructuring process with the goal of then of re-envisioning. And what we've learned from other um, and and so what it what it looks like is that we'll take our 160 plus uh, parishes and missions and put them into families, and uh, we'll do that uh, roughly um, starting uh, J- uh, July of 2024, 20, uh, so next this coming July, uh, and then give them a period of time to then get to know each other, develop a a pastoral plan that's appropriate for their uh, for their uh, particular uh, family. And then with the goal of becoming one canonical parish, each family will have a pastor and one or more parochial vicars. Uh, and, and the idea then is that they can then begin to re-envision how they are a parish uh, and and how they best use their resources. And so uh, with those decisions being made locally, which is a unique part of this, mm-hmm. um, we've patterned this after um, uh, lessons learned in Cincinnati, uh, Detroit, mm-hmm. and Chicago. People have mm-hmm. gone through this. Uh, and one of the things that we we think is unique about this is um, not a top-down approach to to some of these challenging decisions as to how to best use your resources, uh, and to have that really be discerned locally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this discernment process is a really core part of of, of partners in the gospel. So where we are in the process is that we're uh, we've just put out a draft of uh, of parish families. You were going mm-hmm. from 165. Uh, uh, parishes and missions, and we're proposing 61 families. So mm-hmm. uh, a pretty substantive uh, consolidation. Uh, but with that, then uh, we, we put it out to the people of God and are, are, have received feedback from them. And so we'll make some refinements on those uh, parish families and we'll announce uh, a final set and uh, promulgate them 
in uh, the first quarter of, of 2024 with an implementation in July of 2024. The, um, I think what, what's unique about it is this idea that the, the, the decisions on what a parish looks like um, in the end, so that where, how many church buildings will you have, where, what the masses will look like, how do you use your staff resources, uh, what new minist what ministries, how do you use those, uh, and then if you can free resources up, how do you reallocate them to ministries that maybe you don't have uh, today? Uh, mm -hmm. And that's, that's how, by doing this restructuring, we can then re-envision how we do church. And so, mm -hmm. uh, but, but what we learned from other people is that if you just go right to the re-envisioning, you get stuck on the structural issues that, that are mm -hmm. already built. Okay, they actually serve as a constraint. What we want to do is remove that constraint, uh, and and then to be able to reallocate. Um, and then the other unique part, and um, uh, is that how do we engage the people of God through this process of determining how we what, what we look like into the future? And uh, and so I, I um, it's not by chance that our archbishop is back at. Um, the synod on synodality in Rome right now, and mm -hmm. and uh, we're very reliant on the use of discernment in the development of the families, and then as we go into this uh, strategic planning process within each uh, parish, the role of of uh, engaging uh, discernment uh, uh, with the people of God through that process as well, and so we're building that into the to the way we're approaching uh, partners in the gospel. Yeah, I really appreciate the long-term approach. You know, looking in the in the pastoral letter, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's an ample timeline. It's not setting an unrealistic timeline. I think that's unique because of what you're trying to build in of this listening at the local level. Um, could you speak a little bit to you know we talked about discernment? How did you land on this process? I know you spoke a little bit about it already, but how did you guys decide to go about it? in this way and on this timeline, because as we as we know, and we've done some recent episodes on this, the church in our country is dealing with this everywhere. Right. The good news is there were some early adopters that that went in there, and then there are lessons learned from them. Um, so people are approaching it in very different ways. How did you guys land on this approach, the use of the term families, which I think is very nice, and the timeline, which goes all the way into 2027? Yeah. So... Um, some would say that's too fast. So uh, I can tell you that that there's there's a, um, uh, but but the the couple things that we we've learned. One is is that um, transparency uh, and inclusion of the people of God uh, is a criticism that other folks um, you know that, that they wish they'd done more of it. So we've kind of learned from that, and uh, we had a really a positive experience with the synodal process that was serving as input to what's going on in Rome. And so we, with what we learned about ourselves and our, uh, and, and the richness of what can come out of that process, we said, well, why wouldn't we build on that and use that mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. then inform this, this uh, strategic pastoral planning work that we, we want to do. And so I think that's how we landed on that as a process. The timing is uh, you want to sort of you, uh, not be in, in this planning mode forever. Right, it's sort of, mm -hmm. uh, and so you want to have it be aggressive enough. Uh, yet uh, we're we're being flexible in the sense that there's probably going to be people that want to go faster, um, but we do also know there's people that will need more time, mm -hmm. and so we're going to build that some flexibility into to how that will will play out uh, ultimately. Yeah, well, I like the tie into what the the church is saying 
globally, right, of synodality. And to your point, right, many people say the church works in centuries. So five years is pretty quick when you consider that. Um, but uh, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense to connect to what the Holy Father has been talking about, especially also accompaniment. And, you know, people will be going through different emotions as, as they experience this process. So it's important to, to give them that time to to work through those things as you get to that that point of becoming families in one canonical parish. Yeah. So I like how that timeline's built in there. Now you are CIO. Now that can be a pretty unique role in diocese. Um, that's pretty neat. Can you talk about the role technology has played in the development and rollout of this plan? Sure. And, and we, we actually had started the uh, tech, we did a, a, a technology plan in 2020 and um, the focus on that plan was standardization uh, and it, it, Partners in the Gospel hadn't started yet, um, but the idea of standardization was really core uh, to the goal of this technology plan. And it, so uh, in, in some ways, it was the work of the Holy Spirit that got us to the point, well, you know what, as we move into parish families, having everybody on the same set of systems it's going to make that process a whole lot easier. And so point, we, yeah. uh, we standardized the, the uh, financial systems uh, and, and that, that's, that work was completed a couple of years ago. Uh, we're in the process of implementing parish stack from push bay uh, and that, that work will be done in March. So everybody will be on an integrated and standardized system uh, which I think then makes it much easier to to then think about how you share data, how you consolidate, how do you how you bring uh, 162 organizations together into 61. Uh, being on the same platform will make that a lot easier. Uh, and then the other part that's really important um, is that if you think through what we learned from the sit and really from from COVID, uh, is that people want to belong to groups. They, uh, that's that's one of the reasons they go to church is to find their their people and to be to be part of something, and um, the the role of groups in the connection of people to their church and then ultimately to Christ um, is something that we think that technology can help facilitate. It's not a substitute, right? But it does make the connection, mm -hmm. and so uh, it helps you be connected and stay connected. Uh, and and so that that's that's what, one of the important things that we think that we're going to benefit with, particularly in using Parish Stack. Uh, the other thing is is um, um, being able to push a combination of content as well as information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you think about one of the things that uh, uh, a an, an initiative like Partners in the Gospel, it's really about communicating, right? Because mm -hmm. Um, people will will make up stories if there's a void of information, and so to find ways of staying in touch with people uh, to to alleviate fears, because this is going to be a very challenging uh, change management problem uh, in going through this this consolidation effort. And so finding ways to to get them the information, be able to answer questions uh, in a way that uh, that's timely. Uh, you, you're never gonna. You can never communicate enough, and so mm -hmm. uh, creating one more channel uh, to get mm -hmm. that to folks is going to be really critical. No, I like that y'all have thought about the structural underpinnings to have in place as you're going through this. You know, it's it's an interesting time in the church because I think we're really in that first era where technology is something you need to think about with parishes, right? I I, I know we've been talking about it for maybe thirty years. Like it's it's been part of church life. But now you really have to consider it because we have so much online payment. COVID 
propelled this this change towards more use of technology. Um, you know, one thing I'll hear uh, pastors kind of kind of be challenged with sometimes they might complain about is you know when they move assignments, it's difficult if everything's different. Oftentimes the organizational structure is different, so the roles at the parish, maybe the, the, sometimes the accounting might be done differently. All those things just kind of add up. So I'm sure if, if at least you can give the technology tools being similar, that that's at least one one piece of the checklist when they're transitioning to say, okay, well, at least at least I know how this piece works. Yeah, yeah, and and it makes it practical to do things like sharing resources across parish lines. Um, so it just you know it 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 creates a a standard way of doing work. It just makes sense, and it does it does reduce the burden. Yeah, you know. Um, I spent a little bit of time in IT in my career, and technology is really at the service of the business, right? It's there to make things easier, help share information. You know, from your vantage point as a CIO, I know we, I know we talked a little bit too about uh, before the we record started recording about uh, your journey into this role. You'd spent, t- you know, was your career in technology prior to coming to work for the church? Yeah, actually, I, I was a CIO and also a chief strategy officer for a healthcare system. So I was, oh, uh, awesome. yeah. So the combination of strategy and technology has been, it was a sweet spot for for this the role here at the Archdiocese. And I uh, worked in, in uh, technology for almost 40 years. And oh, um, wow. so, so it was, I was blessed to be able to, to bring that to, to the, what the, what the Archdiocese has asked me to, to do and, and, uh, uh, both from a planning and an execution perspective, uh, and then it, and then by chance, or not by chance, but um, uh, I was then asked to to help out with the partners in the gospel because of my strategy background. Uh, so I, it's just a gift to be able to to serve um, the the church with, with uh, skills that God gave me, and and uh, in a way that's helpful. Oh, that is so exciting to hear and a conversation you hope happens more and more around the church, right? That strategy and technology, it's so funny to be talking about this sometimes in a, in a church setting, but it's so true to, to the era that we're in. Strategy and technology, they go hand in hand. You know, from your vantage point, your career, and just being a Catholic, why do you think technology is important to the future of the church, you know, in general, beyond the scope of what you're working on right now? Why do you think maybe Catholics, dioceses, parishes should be thinking more and more about the use of technology for the mission of the church. Well, if you think about um, what we probably, what I think we've learned for at least here in Seattle about the synod itself, the synod and synodality um, in our own gathering is that we, we need to connect with young people differently. Uh, and, and so if you think about where folks, where folks your age, you're a young person in relative terms, yeah. um, <laughs> is they spend their time on their phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and so yep. how do you how do you get your share of phone time? Yeah, uh, as that's, as church, that's a good term. That's a good term to think of. Share of phone time. Yeah, and and so um, we we probably and we, not not as a replacement for the relationships, but as a way mm-hmm. of of keeping you connected tool. to. It's a tool. Yeah. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. So that's number one. I think I think also um, we we need to understand our our parishioners differently. Mm-hmm. And better, and so the role of information to decision making mm-hmm. um, puts a, uh, it really forces us to think about data as an asset, um, and and to be able to, to to have standardization of that is forced if you if you really think about it as being an asset. So we can make better decisions. We can maybe be more responsive to the needs uh, if we understand uh, who our parishioners are. 
And then, you know, more broadly, as we think about uh, public public domain sets of data, how do we, who are we not serving? And, and to be able to think about that differently. So information feed strategy in that situation as well. Well, I love this conversation. It's really about being proactive, right, with technology too, not reactive. You know, the I guess some good news is the church has gotten very used to online giving, at least in the last 10 or 20 years. Um, but we had an interview recently with Terry Poplava from uh, ACS Technologies, if you've heard of that group. Yeah, yeah. But he was Terry. Yeah, one thing we talked about was that um, the parishes that had been taking these kinds of steps ahead of COVID were more ready to weather the storm of COVID. So we don't know what the next 20 years or so is going to look like in the church, but we should start thinking about what do we need to do for the future and how can we leverage technology? Because we know this technology is not that's not going away. That's going to evolve. So we need to try to catch up to the curve as much as we can. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, so how can parish leaders, as well as parishioners in the pew, you know, I know we've talked very high level about diocesan strategy, about restructuring, but how do you think parishes and parishioners in the pew, how can they better leverage technology for evangelization? Hmm. So I, it's, I think, um, Focusing, putting the parishioner at the center um, makes it is where I would start, right? So you, you, uh, and and to create an experience that's um, holistic and and uh, uh, one that that they would be willing to repeat and seamless, right? So it's it becomes natural. So I think about my own experience um, with the, where I spend time, right? It's, uh, probably too much time on social media, but but if you can create a, an experience that draws people in. Uh, to to church experiences, connecting them to their groups, uh, connecting them to their uh, that 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 it, it serves as is a uh, a tool for connection, right? It's a tool for keeping them connected both with with their with their people, with the with the groups that they're interested in, but also to content that that that's compelling, that uh, things that that um, you know whether it's a a, a message from the pastor, a message from the archbishop, they know where to go, right? So it, redu- it, it keeps them connected from an information perspective. Um, but most importantly, it keeps them connected to the to the community that they uh, gravitate towards. Um, those would be the things that, that I think are, are most important. And, and it has to be mobile, right? I mean, that's, um, you, you can't assume people are, it needs to be, be on a phone. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think about IT strategy, you know, the work you've done in industry, but also now in the church, when you're designing the strategy or the structure, do you think more about the end user or more about like the structure and the system that's needed? Or is it all really, does it all really need to be about at the service of the end user at the end of the day? If it doesn't serve the end user, um, then then you, you've probably missed the opportunity. Um, it it used to be that that systems were focused on sort of the um, I'll, I'll say the administrative elements, the outcome or the, the okay, yep, yep, yeah. So you know what's what's it take? To, you know, I'm I'm going to post my cash. I'm going to, you know, here's my donations, and that's yeah. that's important, but it's not the endpoint, and it and it's insufficient from an engagement perspective, uh, and and so you you want to create an experience where the focus is on engage, engagement, mm-hmm. and then the net result is giving. Uh, is is a is an, is an outcome that you would you would hope would be uh, uh, a positive outcome from from a good engagement uh, strategy. Um, so, and, yeah. and most importantly, 
that it causes people to say, hey, I really have, I'm, I'm drawn to Christ through this group of people. And I have other people that I think I would like to bring into this as well. So it serves as shareable, uh, right? It's shareable. It's, it's a, it's a form of evangelization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and, and so I, um, and, and it could happen at scale that you can't, it's challenging to do person to person. But when you, when you begin to think in terms of, of um, uh, electronically or, or, or through systems, it, it scales at a, a much different rate. Yeah. I think a mistake we make a lot of times with, technology, IT, especially in, you know, at the parish level sometimes is we think about the tool from technology of just the function we wanted to perform, kind of like you were talking about, like, I want to increase the amount we receive in online donations in case people are out of town or they can't be there or they don't bring their cash on Sunday, or I want to make it simpler to post social media and all those things. But, but really good technology is really consumer or end user driven, right? I remember being in my two years I spent in IT, not 42 though, um, we uh, had made personas of the people we were trying to serve and built it around them. Our our systems were at that service as opposed to making life easier for me. Do you find that to be a mind shift change sometimes for folks in the ways they think about technology? No doubt. Because uh, where, where we started was with the administrative functions of parishes, uh, particularly as, as it relates to parish stack. And which is the the tool we're using for engagement, and um, we started with those functions that were sort of back office. But, yeah. but where where uh, where we found distinction was that same set of tools. Uh, uh, the the engagement part of what that was offered actually was the most compelling. Yeah, uh, happened to have these other things that that supported back office functions, but it it was the the integration of these really compelling. Uh, engagement tools that made it uh, a unique tool set. It was uh, uh, special that way. And and then it was clear that it was designed from an end user perspective because it was, uh, everybody said, well, this is really easy to learn. Um, and, yeah. and so, the, uh, and it had an app that was, you know, integrated with it. So it just, it felt um, different than other uh, church-based applications. Yeah. Fun thing with, with, um, IT stuff too, right? Is your end user in one case might be the parishioner in the pew. Another time though, it's it's the pastor to make life easier yes. for him. Yeah. yeah, I think of all the end users. I'm going to ask an IT nerd type question though. Do you guys uh, use anything of a Scrum or Agile methodology or Waterfall as you're developing things? Does that play into play in anything you guys do? You know, it's pr- it's pretty. Uh, it's it's very much a sort of a because it's an application. It's already yeah. built. Yeah. Uh, we're 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 using. Um, Sort of design build, um, gotcha. uh, but we we are using a phased rollout. Uh, there so you that, go. Um, so that that'll be familiar uh, for, for if you've ever done large scale implementations. We so we we uh, started last July, um, and it, it had a pilot of two two parishes. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, we we then have eleven waves of Very implementation. Nice. Uh, each wave is nine months. They overlap by um, through uh, about. I could say overlap by six months. So, so pretty they, iterative and shared learnings yeah. along the way. Yeah. So no doubt we learned a lot from our pilots and, um, but we're, you know, we'll be done uh, in March. So I, we're excited about that uh, with, with, as far as the implementation of Peristack and then we'll move into an optimization phase. Right. And so that'll yeah. probably, that'll have more of an iterative feel to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
and, to, and, and then the software itself uh, is uh, the vendor uses uh, Scrum um, methodology. So yet you, you have new functionality every couple of weeks. Uh, so they, they have okay. these sprints that um, result in value add. Yeah, just for fun in the show notes, I'm going to put some links in that what is Scrum because just, just that way of, of getting work done uh, can apply to all settings. Yep. Um, but uh, that's exciting. That's the way to do change management, right? I think sometimes two people think of these big changes and it's overwhelming, but you do a little bit at a time, you learn, you repeat. Um, so I'm sure even though it looks like that, you know, that over that five-year timeline, there's going to be a lot of activity and shared learnings in between, yeah. shared learnings across parishes too. Yeah, no doubt. And so, we, we we set up a process to be able to absorb those changes or those those learnings, right? So we we have a, a user committee that meets every month uh, to learn from each other, to um, share progress, and then and uh, escalate issues. Amid. So it's they're very engaged. So it's not a not a top down driven uh, solely, right? You you have this yeah. ability to to take in input from the field to, to make things better. That sounds like you guys have built great systems behind this change to make sure the change is going well. Um, what Now, we talked about earlier that this is an issue facing pretty much, uh, maybe not every area of the church in America, but I would I would think at least maybe 80% of, of America is, what are we going to do with our churches in the next 30 years? What advice would you give to other dioceses and parishes needing or wanting or thinking about making a change like this? So I'm, I'm a, you're assuming you want the technology part of it? From the technology perspective, or from a um, from the partners in the gospel uh, perspective, or from the the partners in the gospel initiative, and any role technology would play into something like that. If that makes okay. sense, yeah, I get, I'll hit a little bit both. So, so the um, as it relates to restructuring parishes, et cetera, it's really a change management issue primarily, right? Um, and and so not not you you don't. A few really precious things in, in uh, their connections to their churches, their their pastor and their mass time, right? So mm-hmm. the minute you start touching those, it's a big deal. So mm-hmm. so uh, so it's really okay. Um, having the will to start, uh, so it, which requires sponsorship. So it really takes an archbishop to say yeah, or a bishop to say, okay, this this is it, this is we have to do this. Understanding the why uh, is critical. Because you can't you can't possibly go through that level of change without being clear about the why and and why 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 this change and why now, uh, so that's really important understanding the why, uh, and then and then engage uh, engage the people of God through that process, uh, both understanding the why and then helping discern the what. Um, so the, the, that that process, so you end up with with something where you say, okay, I understand why we need to do it. And I understand what we're going to do. I may not like it, mm-hmm. uh, but but I'm I'm prepared to buy in. And that's the last part, which is each of us personally has to commit to this new change in order mm-hmm. for it to work. And so, uh, as a person of God, you need to then find out what is my role in that. So that's that's sort of the broadest change as it relates to technology. Um, it it there, the same sort of principles apply. You have to have sponsorship, and then uh, there's a need for this. I call it, I call it a guiding coalition. But you have people of of who are going to help make sure that you're addressing the key needs. So understanding requirements, uh, and then they can participate in the selection of software, uh, and then end up with being the core people that will help roll it out. Um, it, but they have to be people on the ground, right? It's not it can't be. Uh, back it can't be executive level people it's got to be people that are they're really uh, rooted in the work uh, and then 
making sure that you can uh, address the you know, who represents the the parishioner in this process, right? Mm -hmm. So that you address that that you know end user focus. Yeah. No, that that is uh, that is great. I love how you talked about the end users being involved in the in the decision making and and in the process because they're the ones that will be living with it. But if you can start uh, getting some buy in from those early adapters and they can help influence the change. Maybe you can speed up that, that adoption curve. Yeah. Right? And that's so, what I'm a big, big proponent of phase implementation for that very reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Um, just the last question for you, Tom, what has this experience taught you about the church, the role of technology or anything else you'd like to share? Just lessons learned from the CIO in being in this a few years now at this point. Um, I think the big thing for me is that, you know, coming from industry, you have, you know, these disciplines and methodologies you've learned mm -hmm. and, and those can still apply. Mm -hmm. um, um, but uh, what's different is do you have to leave space for the Holy Spirit to influence right. you? That is different right. working in the church, right? That is different. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it used to be my job was to fix stuff. And right. now my job is to slow down enough to say, okay, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do? Um, and so I, um, uh, it's taken me a while to figure that out. And uh, I'm, I'm not totally there yet. Um, so much to be learned. No, I, I can totally relate to, to what you're saying, because not that the Holy Spirit's not there in our you know, industry roles. Of course, God is with us in all places, but the difference is this is his church, right? It's a living, breathing, spiritual organism. So it's not going to function or change just like a for-profit industry or a not-for-profit, right? Uh, God has his timeline and his way of doing this. And he says his ways are higher than our ways, right? So we got to trust him more than those methodology signs, which can be hard because we got those degrees and we're like, oh, I know this works, but in, in his setting, in his kingdom, it's like, yes, little different so yeah yeah most definitely well tom thanks so much for for sharing your story um is there anything else you just want to share before we sign off here about the process about your hopes for the future anything at all well my my uh I, i'm just really hopeful about the um the the role of discernment in in the future of the church and i i think that um it's just going to be uh, i i'm I hope that everybody takes the opportunity. If ever, if you're ever asked to participate in a, in a, in a synodal session or a discernment session, because it is a way for, uh, for you to help listen to each other, listen to the Holy spirit, and then help, um, help make a difference, uh, going forward. Um, uh, that's that to me, that's, uh, different for each Catholic and, 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 and it's a new opportunity. Well, Tom, thanks so much for, for that, for sharing your wisdom but also coming to serve in the church after your career in IT and coming back. And, you know, we all benefit from it, even uh, across the globe, whoever listens to this episode, we all get to benefit from that. So thanks for being our guest. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, I encourage you to check out the show notes and uh, just think about, you know, even at, at a high level or a smaller level, how can technology help you share the gospel? Um, if, if technology is par not part of your plan, then um, it's time to think about that more because we are living in a digital age. Technology is all around us and, and God wants us to use it in the right way at the service of him and building his kingdom. So thank you all. God bless and go make disciples.